For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Four hunters have been charged with criminal trespass, a violation of Wyoming State Code Annotated 6-3-303 in Carbon County, Wyoming, of which Rollins is the county seat. Corner crossing is the act of stepping from one piece of public land to another piece of public land by stepping over the intersection where four corners of land meet. Corner crossing in Wyoming, just like anywhere in the West, is a contentious issue, with the exception of an opinion written to the then Wyoming Director of Fish and Game by the then state attorney in June of 2004, which ends with... No, bro. Corner crossing is totally legal. You're just stepping from public land to public land. Hunt on. I'm totally kidding, of course. This is Wyoming, for gosh sakes. The opinion ends with, quote, Corner crossing from one parcel of public land to another in order to hunt on that other public parcel, depending on the factual situation involved, may not be violative of Wyoming State Annotated 23-3-305 because, to be convicted, the statute requires a person hunt or intend to hunt on private property without permission. Quote, corner crossing, however, may be a criminal trespass under Wyoming State Annotated 6-3-303. Once again, the factual circumstances would have to be examined to determine if a violation of Wyoming State Annotated 6-3-303 had occurred. In case you haven't guessed, these four hunters who have been charged with criminal trespass were indeed corner crossing. Now, to go back to this conclusion I just read. 
My understanding is this. What this opinion did was remove Wyoming Fishing Game's ability to cite someone for corner crossing because even if they wanted to, they didn't technically have the power to cite someone for criminal trespass, only trespass. This opinion and a following memorandum stating the above went out to the Wyoming County Attorneys, the Wyoming Sheriff's Department, and the Wyoming Department of Agriculture. This was in regards to a case that had recently been tried called State versus Kearney, which is very, very similar to the current situation in Carbon County. An individual, Kearney, stepped across a section marker pin at the intersection of four sections of land, from public land to public land, and the intent was to only hunt public land. The then head of Wyoming Fishing Game reached out to the state attorney general's office and said, hey, if this guy Kearney couldn't be prosecuted for trespass, why would we, as game wardens, cite someone for trespass when they corner cross? Please clear this up. The state attorney general went so far as to say, I understand how this could lead people to think that corner crossing is legal. Probably about now, I'm sure a lot of you folks who may not be quite as near to corner crossing as a lot of folks in the West are, are thinking like, uh, cripes, can we move on? What's the big deal? Why do you keep explaining that someone stepped from public land to public land? Of course they can't be charged. That's just common sense. They went from public to public. Well, let me tell you, this strange situation of whether a person can in the act of stepping trespass on private property, even though their starting footstep was on public land and their ending footstep was on public land. This weird dilemma currently has about 6.35 million public land acres landlocked from the general public use. I'll pause for effect there. If you, like many folks in the West just did, ended your big game hunting season a little frustrated by seeing a lot of other hunters on public land, well, you know, at least you know there's another 6.35 million acres out there, right? This week, we've got underwater tusk, the whitetail rut, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week happens to be written from Kansas. In fact, I'm sitting in a uh, rental suburban of sorts talking to you outside of a stinky duck house full of dudes who've been basically skunked hunting ducks. If you don't know much about Kansas, know this. It is the state with the world's largest ball of sisal twine. Sisal twine is a plant fiber twine used for a lot of stuff, in this case, agricultural cordage. How big is this ball of twine, you may ask? Only 8,507,430 feet long, weighs about 27,017 pounds. And of course, anytime you see something like this, you must reference the greatest road trip comedy of all time. Personally, I'd rather see a giant ball of twine than your cousin Eddie. That's Vacation, which is a classic, again. And I don't believe that's a direct quote, but you'll get the gist. Just watch it again. I don't know why they call this stuff Hamburger Helper. It does just fine by itself, huh? The other thing I wanted to talk about was, starting December 6th, we at the Meat Eater store are running a big promotion, and listen up, 
This is where it gets interesting. If you enter the promo code CAL, that's C-A-L, at checkout, a portion of every sale will go to Wyoming backcountry hunters and anglers who will put those funds towards the legal fees of the four hunters who are being charged with criminal trespass because they stepped from public land to public land. I want to be clear here. I don't think these four folks are heroes. I don't think the private property owners are villains. But I do think public land should be accessible, especially by those willing to walk to get there. Any excess funds raised above and beyond the necessary legal fees will go to the Wyoming Access Yes program, the program that provides public access to private ground by paying willing landowners who choose to participate. Here's a quote from Wyoming backcountry hunters and anglers. Access to quality habitat on public lands is critical to sustaining our hunting heritage. As such, it's imperative that hunters fight for access and defend our public trust when necessary. If you'd like to join the fight, please consider supporting these four hunters by donating to the Wyoming BHA GoFundMe page at www.gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash corner crossing legal fee fundraiser. Quick Google will get you there. I promise. These funds will be used to cover the legal expenses of these hunters and the remaining balance will be donated to Access Yes, a program assisting private landowners to provide hunters and anglers places to hunt and fish. It is Wyoming BHA's understanding that these hunters corner-crossed legally and were cited in error. It would have been easier and much cheaper for these hunters to pay the fines and allow a precedent to be set. This fundraiser is specifically aimed at balancing the scales of justice while supporting legal access to public lands. All funds not used for legal proceedings will be donated to the Wyoming Game and Fish Access Yes program. What do you think about them apples? So, here's the deal. Buy some stuff associated with me. I got a wish list on TheMeatEater.com. Whatever you do, whatever you buy, type in CAL as your promo code, and a chunk of change will go to providing access and making sure that folks know that you can legally corner cross, which again, is stepping from public land to public land. God bless and Merry Christmas. Moving on. And very appropriate to our conversation, everyone knows that digital mapping has been a game changer for public land hunting and fishing. Apps like OnX let hunters and anglers scout from miles away, stay oriented in the wilderness, avoid being in places where they shouldn't be. These mapping tools also help hunters overcome the single greatest barrier to getting out in the woods, which is access. As I just mentioned, millions of acres of public land are inaccessible to the general public, commonly referred to as landlocked. These tracts of public BLM, state, forest service, even wilderness, are surrounded by private property that prohibits you and I from accessing the land we all own. Many of these private properties contain easements negotiated with the landowner when the property was sold. The government agreed to sell the land, but required the landowner to allow the public to travel across the property to access the land beyond it. I'm generalizing here, but that's the idea. 
There's just one problem. Many of these easements were negotiated before electronic filing was invented, and the easement roads and trails are often unmarked or almost totally obliterated. If you want to find out whether there's an easement across a particular piece of private property, you'd have to dig through some dusty old government filing cabinet. Fortunately for us, the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service are beginning to do this hard work. They are combing through old land deeds, finding easements to landlocked public land, and digitizing that information so it can be viewed on an interactive map. Even better, they're sharing that data with folks at OnX so millions of hunters can see and take advantage of these newly discovered easements. In 2019, the BLM launched a pilot project to digitize road and trail access easements in the Montana-Dakota district. In 2020, the Forest Service got in on the game, and so far the agencies have identified additional access points to over 450 unique tracts of public land in Montana and Idaho. That is a huge deal. That includes more than 29,600 acres of land that was previously identified as landlocked. Of course, there's a lot more work to be done. BLM officials told the Billings Gazette that they wanted to do the same work in all western states, and they estimate that there are 5,000 easements and 12,000 patent reservations stored in BLM file cabinets. As you can imagine, digitizing all those files is time-consuming and grueling work. Congress right now is considering a bill that would give us exactly what we need, which is more manpower to get this digitizing done. The Modernization Access to Our Public Land Act, also known as the Map Land Act, which we've spoken about several times, would secure funds from the Departments of the Interior, Agriculture, and the Army to digitize all easements and make them available to the public within three years. If this sounds familiar, it's because we hit it. Yeah. Think about that. Within three years, we'd have a clear path to access showing every federal public land easement in the country. I don't know exactly how much landlocked public land that would give us access to, but uh, more is better, right? Montana alone contains over 3 million acres of inaccessible public land, as does Wyoming. In total, the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership identified nearly 10 million acres of landlocked public land in western states. The Map Land Act could help solve that problem, and to clarify it's not acquiring any additional public land, it's simply giving us access to the land we already own. To me, that sounds pretty darn good. Now, before you open up on X and go charging down these new easements, you should know a few things. First, be respectful of private property. These easements are for access, not for outdoor rec. In other words, don't stop to hunt, fish, or look at wildlife. Keep moving until you reach public land. I recently went to a cabin that is deep into public lands, but on deeded ground. The easement to that cabin does not allow you to stop, cut firewood, glass for big game, hunt fish, whatever, on a closed section of road, it only allows you access to your deeded property, which I think is perfectly fine. Second, if you find a new easement, it's important to remember that some of these haven't been maintained for decades. 
Roads may be unmarked or even non-existent. The landowner might not know about them and be very surprised to find you traipsing across the property. As always, be courteous. If you think there are potential issues, knock on a door or make the necessary phone calls. Even with these qualifications, this is exciting stuff. Knowing about these easements will give us more opportunities to hunt and fish and expand the acreage available in many western states. The only downside is some of us who have done our homework may uh, find an extra person or two in our extra secret spot. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild access deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the religion desk. A whitetail buck in Michigan crashed into a local church on the first day of the state's rifle season. When pastors Amanda and Luke Eicher arrived at church in Sturgis, Michigan on Monday, November 15th, they thought they'd been robbed. But when they opened the door to the sanctuary, they found a 10-point whitetail buck perusing the donation cards in the back of the pews. There was some damage to the building, and our pastors are a little traumatized, but the buck left strengthened in the Lord to go face his battles. 
the church wrote on its Facebook page. Believe it or not, whitetail frequently find themselves trapped in buildings, especially during breeding season. Chad Stewart from the Michigan Department of Natural Resources told us they've encountered deer in churches, houses, grocery stores, department stores, and on top of ski lifts. In fact, on the same day this deer broke into a church in southern Michigan, another deer in Louisiana made its way inside Baton Rouge's largest hospital. That deer had apparently been hit by a car before it ran through the main entrance of the hospital and up an escalator. It was captured within just a few minutes and euthanized later that day. That deer was obviously trying to get some medical attention, but probably not the Kevorkian type. Rest in peace. It's possible the Michigan buck wanted to confess a few nagging sins. This is the rut time of year after all. Or the more likely explanation, this buck mistook his reflection in the window for a rival. Pastor Amanda Eicher agreed. She told us the deer had been hanging around the church since the previous Sunday, and she believes he spotted a rival in the reflection of the window. Since whitetail bucks only have a few weeks in the entire year to breed, they're keyed up and ready to fight during that period in late October and November. If this buck thought another buck had the audacity to wander into his territory, he was going to do something about it. Unfortunately for him, he broke through his rival, found himself in the middle of an empty sanctuary, and in a video posted on the church's Facebook page, the buck can be seen climbing the stairs to the balcony and suddenly jumping up the wall. It's an impressive leap. One could say it was a leap that took faith. Only in the leap from the lion's head. Sturgis pastors told local media that they had already barricaded the doors to the sanctuary, but they were afraid the deer would damage the sound equipment on the balcony. No damage was done beyond the broken window, and the buck soon walked back down the stairs and jumped back out through the broken frame. If you ever find yourself in this situation, Stuart has a few tips. First, make sure you stay safe. If it looks like the deer might injure you or anyone else, steer clear. If you think you can safely coax it through a window or gate, keep in mind that deer usually move along a wall or a fence. If you're a whitetail hunter, you know this. A deer isn't going to cross a field or a room from one side to the other. He's going to creep along the edge. The same apparently goes for a rectory, emergency room, or living room. Knowing this might help you develop a strategy for encouraging the animal to clear the area, or maybe you make sure of your target and beyond then, you know, take care of the situation. After all, they don't often walk that close to your freezer on their own, do they? Moving on to the legislation desk. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Wyoming Senator John Barrasso recently introduced a new piece of legislation they're calling the Outdoor Recreation Act. This bill, according to a press release, is designated to, quote, increase and improve outdoor recreation opportunities across the nation while improving infrastructure and driving economic growth in rural communities. The authors have already published the bill's entire text online, so you can read it for yourself at energy.senate.gov. The bill is divided into directives related to three categories, increasing recreation opportunities, improving those recreation opportunities, and investing in recreation infrastructure and rural communities. For example, the bill would require the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management to consider recreation resources when developing or revising land management plans. 
Agencies would have to assess the costs and benefits of current recreation use and consider how they might expand or enhance recreation in the future. The bill would also require the Forest Service and the BLM to ensure that each national forest and BLM district has at least one designated shooting range. It would modernize campsites by installing broadband internet in certain locations and direct the Forest Service and BLM to finalize their trail and roadmaps. Trails and roadmaps are a plus. Broadband internet near to the trailhead is a bit of a bummer in my opinion. Part of the reason folks head outside is to disconnect, which is great. And part of the reason they head back to the city is to get reconnected to the internet, which in turn leaves some vacancies at campsites, which is great too. But in general, I was pleased to see the agencies responsible for managing much of the federal public land in the U.S. would be required to consider recreation when developing land management plans. But in my opinion, they typically do right now. I think the real benefits to hunting and fishing appear in the third section of the bill, not so much in the policies themselves, but in the larger ideas behind those policies. The third section of the legislation acknowledges that in many states, recreation is a big part of local and rural economies. Thousands of Americans make a living running the restaurants, hotels, outfitter services, and transportation businesses that serve hunters, anglers, hikers, and campers. In total, Outdoor Rec accounted for $374 billion, with a B, of the nation's gross domestic product. That's in 2020. That's 1.8% of the entire national economy, or about the same percentage as the mining or utilities industries. The general undecided public may not care so much about how much the hunting or fishing communities spend, but we know politicians do. Even better, as the TRCP points out, lawmakers will be more likely to spend wisely on conservation priorities since the outdoor recreation industry relies on healthy habitats and animal populations to survive. The bill highlights the economic benefits of outdoor recreation by directing federal agencies to provide financial and technical assistance to businesses and communities adjacent to recreation destinations. Maybe the hamburger joint you love in the town below your favorite trailhead needs an updated checkout system. They'll run more efficiently and stay in business longer. This bill might be able to help with that. In turn, maybe that business owner will hang a sign in the window that says something like, uh, wear hunter's orange, get a free milkshake. Who knows? This bill also directs the Forest Service to better understand visitor trends and how seasonal closures of federal land impact adjacent businesses. Where those closures harm those businesses, the Department of the Interior would be required to look for opportunities to extend the period of time federal land is open to the public, which is interesting. I was thinking about this a lot today. If you haven't heard, the dam at Hebgen Lake which controls the Madison River, a river that is heavily recreated upon. And many, many, many businesses have staked their sole reason for being on this river and the folks that recreate on it. That dam had a malfunction, and the river dropped to perilously low levels for fish life, causing, undoubtedly, an economic impact to these recreational businesses. If this bill were to pass in its current form, would these entities have to somehow reimburse these businesses that have staked their claim on one particular river that is controlled by a dam? I don't know. 
Does the already giant, bloated beyond belief fire budget have to now include funding that would pay folks who can't go out in the woods? I don't know. There's only so much time on the calendar year, right? So if you get locked out of the woods during fire season, does the Forest Service have to then remove the seasonal closures on, let's say, calving areas for elk because they'll be obligated to with this bill? I don't know. This bill isn't the kind of generational investment we've seen with the Great American Outdoors Act or the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. But as Whit Fosberg of the TRCP told us, it's a good bill that makes incremental steps in the right direction. He even pointed out that it could become a vehicle for other conservation and access bills like the Map Land Act and the Ruby Mountains Protection Act. It's unclear right now whether this bill stands a good chance of passing through Congress. It's been introduced by a Democrat and a Republican, which is a good sign. Just know it's out there and will keep you posted on any movement. Moving on to the sunken treasure desk. Scientists searching for new deep-sea species off the coast of Monterey, California, made an unexpected discovery during an expedition in 2019. Lying right there on the ocean floor, 10,000 feet below the surface, they spotted the tusk of a young female mammoth. The Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute doesn't employ many mammoth experts, but they knew a tusk when they saw one. They also knew that if they didn't try to pick it up, they'd regret it. They probably could never find it again. Unfortunately, it was fragile, and they were only able to recover a fragment, but that fragment was enough to confirm that they had found a mammoth tusk, and in July of this year, a team went back to recover the entire prehistoric tooth. Ancient mammal remains have never been found in waters so deep, but mammoth remains have been found in Western Europe's North Sea. These artifacts end up in the bottom of the ocean for the same reason people keep finding human feet on the beaches of Washington State. When animals die, their remains sometimes wind up in the ocean, their body parts float out to sea, and, as long as they aren't wearing shoes, slowly sink to the bottom. That's what scientists believe happened to this mammoth. How this tusk survived for hundreds of thousands of years in ocean water is even more interesting. According to the research on this project, the three-foot-long tusk was covered in a thick iron manganese crust. That crust formed a shell around the tusk that kept it intact for, obviously, a very long time. Scientists are still trying to determine exactly how long it's been there, but unpublished research suggests that this specimen may have come from the Lower Paleolithic era, which lasted from 2.7 million years ago through about 200,000 years ago. Mammoth remains from this period are extremely rare. Because of that, we don't really know what's going on during this time period. Usually saltwater environments aren't great for preserving ancient mammal specimens. But in this case, thanks to that mineral shell, the darkness and low temperature actually help preserve the DNA within this tusk. Scientists will be able to analyze the DNA to determine the species of mammoth as well as its lineage. That information could help solve an ongoing mammoth riddle that's been dogging researchers for decades. The first mammoths in North America were known as steppe mammoths, and it's believed that they came across from Eurasia about 1.5 million years ago. Hundreds of thousands of years later, the woolly mammoth arrived on the continent and began breeding with the steppe mammoth. 
those hybridized animals became known as Columbian mammoth. The trouble is, no one knows exactly when that hybridization event occurred. According to scientists who spoke with the Times, this tusk could help determine exactly when these massive mammals began to hybridize. Scientists can learn even more about this mammoth from her tusk. Tusks grow like tree rings, which give scientists a clear timetable for life events like giving birth. These layers also contain isotopes that can be traced back to the kinds of food the animal is eating and where that food came from. Understanding simple things like that could have far-reaching effects, especially as our planet changes. This is a glimpse into the past, a window back in time, and it makes you wonder what else is lying preserved on the ocean floor just waiting to be found. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. I want to hear what's going on. And if you're looking desperately for that item that the person who has everything really and truly needs, don't forget to check out www.steeldealers.com and find a local, knowledgeable, friendly Steel USA dealer near you. They're going to get you squared away with what you need and not with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.